For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, so What If Season 2 has just concluded. And if you're like me, you thoroughly enjoyed it. But at the same time, you might have noticed a couple of things throughout the season that didn't quite add up, at least not in the way that we think about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the 616 kind of main prime sacred timeline that we all know and love. You know what I'm talking about, right? All right, example, 1602, right? The episode 1602. The concept here is that Steve Rogers, during the Battle of Endgame, just just gives a little little side swipe to the time stone, and in so doing, merges two times together, right? 1602 and the time of Endgame, which I, I, forget, I forget what year that is. All those characters are kind of pulled in from the Endgame era into the age of 1602, and are kind of fit in here and there with their own kind of mindset stories and, and whatnot. They got the powers, and that's great, but they're there, and they shouldn't be. And right off the bat, who were we first introduced to as the queen of this universe, but Hela, who checks notes, yep, should not be there, right? She was not around during Endgame. Ragnarok all happened right before Endgame. She's gone. There's absolutely no reason why she should be here. Or think back to the first episode, right? With Nova Corps Nebula. Xandar gets shut down. That's all going down at the exact same time that Ronan the Accuser shows up. So you start kind of doing the math on all of that and you see some of the characters that are popping up on Xandar and that doesn't make sense. Howard, I'm pretty sure, would not be there for one thing. He's supposed to be in the collector's collection. Korg feels like a stretch. Rocket and Groot, maybe? And I get it. It's the butterfly effect. But at the same time, a lot of the stuff is already kind of in its place when the butterfly starts flapping its wings. But probably the biggest one of all, the one that kind of had me like, eh, I, I, I don't know about that, is at the very tail end, at the epic battle where we have Kahori and Captain Carter are going up against the Supreme Strange, right? Everybody's tossing them their weapons. It's really, really awesome. It's basically what they did at the end of Secret Invasion, except in a way better way. Sorry, Mother of Dragons. But the breakable moment for me in that was, okay, so Captain Carter, she's rocking the Infinity Armor. They never really fully explain how like Killmonger can handle all of the Infinity Stones at once when the concept that we were kind of introduced to back in Endgame is that a human attempting to use the Infinity Stones would die. Now we're dealing with the Vibranium Ultron Armor of sorts, and the argument could be made that... It's only really when you use all of the Infinity Stones at once, even with something to harness that power that would actually kill you. Fine. But like I said, the kind of the breakable moment for me is Captain Carter somehow holds all the Infinity Stones at once and punches Strange. No, no, that's not how that works. I'm sorry. That's not how that works. Just the Power Stone alone as a human, even a super soldier, should have destroyed her. The only reason that Quill was able to like survive was because he was sharing the power with the Guardians and more importantly, he was literally half God. So yeah, that was, yeah. 
that was kind of a breakable moment for me. But all of these little inconsistencies here and there. So I, you know, I, I finished the episode. I finished the season. I'm sitting back and I'm enjoying it because again, even with the inconsistencies, it's beautiful. It's awesome. It's a fun story. It's just fun to see a lot of these characters explored from different angles. And maybe in some of these episodes, I might do more of a deeper dive into, especially as kind of some of the thoughts around the way the characters are presented or what their kind of journeys are. After marinating on those, I might have more to say. But this is the thing there where I always land. And this is, you know, as somebody who was a fan of the CW's flashback in the day, especially in the early seasons, this is this is kind of the the framework, right? This is kind of the mental headwork that I have come to accept as a fan, as a viewer. And that is if we see it, it happened. Now, how and why it happened, either that's explained or that's for us to headcanon our way around. The fact of the matter is the Watcher always sets up these universes with the idea of like one slight change, but the reality is it's not just one slight change. Great example, 1602, that's not just an end game world. That's not just a 616 universe. In fact, it's very quite specifically a revisiting of the Happy Hogan Saves Christmas universe, right? Because he's rocking the whole Hulk Hogan thing. So we already know that this is a universe where other changes were made that are it's different from the 616 universe. So in situations like that, like with, you know, the the Nebula and Nova Corps, even though there is kind of this one main area of this alternate universe that we're focused on, the reality is there's a lot of things that are different. In the Happy Hogan Saves Christmas universe, Hella still around, still kicking. In-game essentially happens before Ragnarok. Don't know why, but maybe something about Happy Hogan being, you know, the Hulk. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows why? And the Infinity Stones, I mean, look, what if has always played a little fast and loose with kind of the rules around the Infinity Stones? But even beyond that, you think about Loki, the idea is that outside of their home universe, the Infinity Stones don't have nearly the power that they would normally have. Now, obviously there is some kind of power. Otherwise, it wouldn't kind of allow for the power balancing that was kind of at play, bringing Captain Carter up to somebody like Kahori or especially Strange Superior's power level. But at the same time, I don't know, right? Like, you know, these are not the Infinity Stones from the 616 universe. There's a different set of stones from an entirely different universe that it's not even in as it's here in, yes, the remains of a dead universe, but also like its own pocket dimension. Essentially, that's what the TVA is, right? Its own pocket dimension. And who's to say that those paperweights at the TVA don't have any power in them? Anyway, you, you see what I'm saying, right? Like, ultimately, if it happened, if we saw it, then it happened. And I would obviously prefer for there to be explanation in universe, but I don't necessarily need that. Ultimately, we've got enough information that we can kind of piece these things together. But that's how I had canon my way around it. Love to know your thoughts. Did you enjoy season two? Put it in the comments. Uh, let's talk about it. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.